Hi everyone, and thank you for joining me for episode 2 of Crime, Coffee, and Combo podcast. I'm Crystal Gray, and I'm your host. If you wouldn't mind to take a few minutes and click follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast from, I would greatly appreciate that. That'll help me to be able to keep creating content for you each week, twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Today's episode is going to take us into the state of Virginia. We're going to be talking about a 17-year-old girl named Alexis Tiara Murphy. She went missing in August of 2013. Now, Alexis was a very happy, bubbly 17-year-old girl. She was about to start her senior year of high school, and she had plans to go to college. She was a volleyball player with a great social life and had tons of friends. She loved social media and posted on her Twitter account consistently throughout the day. She absolutely loved to post on Twitter. She also loved to post short videos on Vine. That's when Vine was a really popular social media tool. Now, on August 13, 2013, Alexis planned to travel from her home in Shipman, Virginia, to Lynchburg, Virginia, which was about 20 miles away from her home. And she posted on her Twitter account several times throughout the day of August the 3rd, and her last few posts that day started off with, at 6.04, now this is Eastern Standard Time, she posted Berg Bound with a hand that threw a peace sign and one of those little emojis. Now that was at 6.04. At 6.12, she wrote, how about I pull a you on you? At 6.23, she posted, if you don't like what you see, don't look. Well, her very last Twitter post ever was at 6.40, and it says, I actually look cute right now. Now, Alexis's mother, Laura, gave Alexis some money for some hair extensions that she needed to get for her hair appointment that she had the next following week for her senior portraits. So, Alexis got the money from her mother, and her mother watched her leave home about 7 o'clock that night in her dad's white 2003 Nissan Maxima. Alexis's mother, Laura Ann Murphy, said that Alexis told her, I'm going to be back before 12 o'clock tonight. Well, technically, it'd be 12 o'clock in the morning. Anyhow, her mother said to her, I love you. And those are the last words that Mrs. Murphy spoke to Alexis before she disappeared. Miss Murphy said that Alexis was upbeat when she left that night and nothing at all seemed to be wrong or out of the way. There was no reason to suspect anything was wrong. When Alexis did not return by midnight that night, her grandmother knew something was wrong. She had a curfew that she always stuck to. When Laura, Alexis' mother, called Alexis' father to discuss the fact that she failed to return, he recommended she call the cops immediately. So, during this time that Alexis was missing, Alexis' family was distraught, as you can possibly imagine. They all continued to search for her. They called her cell phone, hoping that she would answer or they would find her somewhere or someone would know where she was at. They were out looking, you know, looking in the streets, just the typical what you would do. You know, driving around, driving the roads, looking in the ditches, you know, looking for a car accident, calling places, anything you could possibly think of as a parent. Alexis's aunt Trina remembered that iPhones had the Find Your iPhone app, so she downloaded that on her phone, she said. And so she put in Alexis's number, and lo and behold, it picked up Alexis's phone. It showed that her phone was around the Oak Ridge Road area. So, what did they do? A few of them head over to that area, where it showed her phone to be. They didn't find anything. They didn't find any trace of her, her car, or anything. The only thing that they knew in that area, or that they found out, was that an old family friend actually lived in that area. However, after police did some questioning, this older man was ruled out as knowing anything, or he hadn't even been around Alexis. 
the night before. So back to the drawing board they went. On Monday morning, the sheriff decided it was time to bring in FBI to help search for Alexis because they couldn't find anything. They could not find a trace of her. Nowhere. And they kept searching and kept hoping and kept praying and calling her phone and doing everything that you could possibly do. Well, three days later, on August the 6th of 2013, the white Nissan was found at the Carmike Cinema Movie Theater parking lot, which was located in the multiplex in Charlottesville, Virginia. Okay, well, that posed to be a problem because Charlottesville, Virginia is in a different direction than Lynchburg, which Lynchburg was where Alexis was supposed to be going to get the hair extensions. And according to family members, Alexis had never went to Charlottesville on her own. She always went with someone else. That really kind of threw them off. So they, when I say they, I'm talking about the officers, um, searched the car. Obviously, they opened the trunk because several of them, you know, thought, well, oh, what if she's in the trunk? Thankfully, she was not in the trunk. They didn't find anything in the car at all that could lead them anywhere. They did check CCTV. Um, the car had been abandoned the night after Alexis was reported missing, but cameras failed to capture who was behind the wheel because the CCTV footage of the person was too grainy to see who got out of her vehicle. Now, I'll post pictures on my Crime, Coffee, and Combo Facebook page and Instagram where you can see some of the CCTV still shots. But it shows where the car went in and where somebody had got out. Obviously, it was a person. You could see it was a person, but you couldn't see who it was. It was just too grainy. Authorities searched local store cameras all around the area to see if some of those cameras could capture who was in it better than the one from the cinema. They couldn't find anything, so they extended the search. When they extended the search... They went 30 miles north and 30 miles south of the multiplex, hoping to find footage of the assailant from another angle again, but they were unsuccessful. So in the meantime, social media experts were searching through Alexis's social media accounts and brought an individual up from Lynchburg by the name of Michael Hendricks. Apparently, Alexis and Michael had been communicating back and forth quite a bit. They were supposed to meet up the day in question while she was out shopping. So Alexis and Michael were supposed to meet each other on August the 3rd when Alexis was out getting hair extensions. Michael lived in Lynchburg. They had set up that they were going to meet while she was out doing her shopping. That's what the experts that were digging through her social media accounts found out. So authorities went out to talk to him. Well, when authorities questioned Michael about Alexis, he tells them that he never heard from Alexis that Saturday night. He said that she ghosted him and there was no contact between the two of them from 6 o'clock that night on and that at no time did they ever meet each other. Of course, her mom said that she didn't leave the house until about 7 o'clock. She had quit talking to him before she even left home. They had, you know, they automatically had ruled Michael Hendricks out as being involved in her disappearance as well. Now comes a break in the case. Gas station cameras captured Alexis at a Liberty gas station in Livingston, Virginia. The gas station was a common hangout for teens. Now, cameras there captured a man by the name of Randy Allen Taylor holding a door for Alexis in which it didn't show them making any conversation with one another at the time whenever he held the door open for her. Because in the CCTV footage, it just looks like he was coming out of the store, he was a gentleman, held the door open as she walked in the door. Made no conversation. This man had a large Daffy Duck neck tattoo, and he was driving a camouflaged Chevrolet Suburban. The clerk told authorities that when Alexis checked out, she noticed that she was having a conversation with a man a few minutes later in the parking lot. Now, then the CCTV camera showed the camouflage suburban on the highway, and a few seconds later, you could see Alexis's vehicle following Taylor going northward from the gas station. So this puts Alexis 
last seen at around 7.15 at the gas station. Now that they had a name for him, they could find where the individual lived so that they could question him. Lo and behold, he only lived about a mile from the Liberty gas station. This led investigators to an abandoned property along Route 29. The shrubbery on the land was overgrown and it had taken over an old house, but that wasn't the only thing there on the land. The authorities had also found a camouflaged suburban and an old camper belonging to 48-year-old Randy Allen Taylor. So the investigators questioned Randy Taylor. They also show him some pictures of Alexis and he immediately tells the investigators, no, he doesn't know her and he's never seen her before. He didn't know anything about her, and the officers already knew that he was lying. They already seen the CCTV footage, which since the authorities already had enough evidence with the CCTV footage, they just needed to get a search warrant for Randy's home and property. Authorities said that whenever they executed the search warrant, that Randy didn't throw up any red flags, or at least he tried not to act suspicious when they were executing the search warrant, that he composed himself very well. Or at least he tried to, anyway. The FBI techs came in and collected anything that they thought would be useful in the case. So upon their investigations, they discover a single black hair, a torn fingernail that was embedded into the carpet, a diamond stud earring. The officers knew they needed to get all of the items into the lab to be tested immediately. So the investigator on the case wanted to get the items tested as quickly as possible. So he contacted Quantico, which is the FBI's lab. The reason for doing so is because their lab has a quicker turnaround time than just the regular lab. And they could turn around the results in no more than 48 hours. So while they await the results, they continued searching the property for more evidence, in which at that time they bring in canine dogs that are trained to detect cell phones. And wouldn't you know what these lovely canines found in just 40 minutes time of searching on that day. If you guessed Alexis' cell phone, then you are absolutely correct. Her cell phone was found just 70 feet away from his front porch. Just 70 feet. But yet remember, he said he didn't know her at all. He had never seen her. Then why is her phone 70 feet from your front porch? Anyhow, the phone did have water damage, and you could tell where he tried to break it and damage it in some capacity. If you'll hop on over to my Crime Coffee Combo podcast Facebook group and Instagram page, you'll be able to see pictures of the cell phone when they found it. The phone was submitted for forensic analysis to see if they could come up with anything that, you know, might come up on her phone that might could lead them to where she is. In less than 48 hours, it was determined that the hair, the fingernail, and the stud were earring, which the stud earring had turned out to be actual lip ring. Remember, she had a lip ring. Well, that's what that turned out to be, was in fact Alexis Murphy's. At that time is when everything shifted and Randy Taylor became the prime suspect in Alexis Murphy's disappearance. Investigators interviewed Taylor extensively there at his camper for eight hours in which he never admitted anything to do with Alexis. Said he didn't have anything to do with it, with her being there, and... He finally just said, if you're going to arrest me, then just arrest me. So, at that point, he was arrested and taken to the Albemarle Charlottesville Regional Jail. This happened on August 11th, 2013. Then, on September 24, 2013, Randy Allen Taylor was indicted by the grand jury on two felony charges. One for abduction of Alexis Murphy and one connected to the theft of an ATV 
that was completely unrelated to the Alexis Murphy case. Later on, Randy Taylor claimed that Alexis and a black man with dreadlocks by the name of Damian Bradley came to his camper to buy drugs. All three apparently, Gordon and Taylor, had some beers and then the two left, Randy claimed. But now, his story changed so much that no one knew, you know, obviously what to believe or what not to believe. Now, one minute he would say that all three of them had some beers. He would say only two of them had beers. Then he would say that um, that he had met Alexis before um, about a sale of some marijuana and they had talked at the gas station and he wanted to buy some more. Him and Alexis went to his place and the drug dealer was supposedly Damian Bradley and Damian Bradley had sold him some marijuana. There were so many stories that were told. And anyhow, authorities obviously caught up with Damian Bradley. Damian Bradley had a solid alibi and claimed he never even met Randy. Just for clarification, now let me clear the air here. The authorities did not think that Randy Taylor's story about Damian was true anyway. But, obviously, they have to investigate everything that was being told to them. So, back to Damien. After Damien was questioned by the authorities, the investigators went ahead and collected Damien's DNA just to rule him out, of course. Just procedure. Damien Bradley was completely ruled out as a suspect altogether in Alexis Murphy's case. His DNA didn't match anything. Obviously, his DNA was not in Randy Taylor's camper. wasn't in Alexis' vehicle. It was nowhere. So, Damien Bradley was completely ruled out. Now, the authorities theorized that Randy Taylor seen and or dealt with Damien Bradley from McDonald's that's there at the Liberty Gas Station in Livingston and decided he would just throw them off by bringing Damien Bradley into the mix of the investigation, which didn't work. Might have threw them in a different direction for a minute, but authorities didn't even believe him in the first place. So, with all this information in mind, investigators returned to the camper that belonged to Randy Taylor to see if they could find any further evidence. And wouldn't you know, they did find a few more things. Actually, much more shocking things. In my honest opinion, I think it was much more crucial um, evidence that they found. Under the couch, they found a bloody shirt matching Alexis's DNA. Now get this. It was actually the same exact shirt that Randy Taylor wore that was seen on the gas station CCTV the last time Alexis was seen. So the same exact shirt that Randy Taylor had on that day at the gas station where Alexis was seen at the gas station the same time he was, that shirt they found underneath the couch. They also found a large wad of black hair extensions and fake eyelashes. Every single thing that they found was bagged and sent to be analyzed, which all came back to be none other than that precious girl, Alexis Murphy's. Now, the shirt. The shirt had blood on it. The shirt had a good significant amount of blood on it. 
that blood tested back to Alexis Murphy. The DNA from the eyelashes, the DNA from the hair extensions, all came back to Alexis Murphy. Every bit of it. Now let's think about this for a minute. Do you know how brutal her attack had to be to have those hair extensions ripped out of her precious head? How hard he would have had to jerk her hair, to jerk her around, to pull those hair extensions out of her head. My goodness, that precious baby went through a brutal, brutal attack. Her eyelashes, well, she had fake eyelashes on, on top of her real ones. And of course, you know, I'm sure that she had the right stuff to put them on with, which would have been glue. They had been ripped, ripped off of her, ripped off of her. The attack that she suffered was brutal with this precious 17-year-old girl. But yet, he claims he didn't know her. That's what he said at first. And then he claims that she left with Damian Bradley. Damian Bradley had never been in his camper. He never even knew Randy Taylor. The fact that the lip ring, the single hair, a ripped fingernail. Let's talk about the fingernail that they found previously. That fingernail was not clipped. It was not gently torn off. Like if you broke a nail and you just went in and tore it off. They said that that fingernail had been ripped. Ripped off of that child. It was embedded into that carpet. Was it because she was grasping the carpet? What was it? That child went through a brutal attack. That freaking monster. Mr. Randy Taylor is a monster in my book. Heck, he doesn't even deserve to be called a mister. That's my opinion. Now, here's the thing. There comes a realization where... The authorities, the family, everybody has looked endlessly for Alexis's body, alive or deceased. They have not found her. Randy Taylor is not giving any information whatsoever. So, authorities went to the family of Alexis Murphy, and they talked to them about charging Randy Taylor with murder. Now, this is going to be a hard pill for the family to swallow. Obviously, because with your loved one missing, you will always hold out hope that they'll return home safely, that perhaps a miracle will happen. Maybe they're being held somewhere. One day they'll get away. They may be hurt, but they're going to come back. You don't want to think of them as dead. You always want to hold out hope. Now, your brain just won't let you go there, even though somewhere in the back of your mind that you probably know that that's what the outcome is. Your brain just doesn't want you to go there. It's like hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. Anyhow, in order for murder charges to be brought up against Randy Taylor, the family had to back them up. They needed the family to back them up and be behind them and accept the fact that more than likely, Alexis was deceased. That Randy Taylor had murdered her, in which her family... As strong and as hard as it was for them to accept that thought, they agreed. They 
Hicks and charge him with murder. So, in January 2014, a special grand jury indicted Randy Taylor on first-degree murder, first-degree felony murder, and abduction with intent to defile. Before the trial began, Judge Michael Gamble issued a gag order at Nelson County Commonwealth Attorney Anthony Martin's request, preventing authorities or anyone involved in the investigation to discuss specifics about the case, citing that they wanted to be sure to have a fair and impartial jury trial. In the meantime, Taylor's defense attorney tried to have the murder trial relocated. However, Judge Gamble denied his request. On May 1st, 2014, Randy's trial began. Of course, he pled not guilty to charges of first-degree murder, first-degree felony murder, and abduction with intent to defile. On May 8th, 2014, Randy was found guilty. At his sentence hearing in July of 2014, get this part, listen carefully. At his sentence hearing, now this is where, as you all know, this is where he would learn how long he would be in prison for. At his sentence hearing, he claimed that he would reveal the low location of Alexis's body, but he would only do so if they agreed to only give him 20 years. So in other words, he's saying, give me 20 years and I'll tell you where Alexis is. But he still said, I'm not the one that killed her, but I know where her body is. But you just give me 20 years and I'll tell you where her body is. You've got to know that that had to be something that her family really struggled with. You know, they thought, does he really know? If he does know, my baby can come home, give her a peaceful place to rest. However, the state and Alexis's family turned him down. His offer was completely declined by not only by not only the state, but by Alexis's family as well. He was sentenced to two life sentences in prison. In 2014, Randy Taylor appealed his conviction, which was later denied, of course, through a one-judge disposition on April 8, 2015. Then he appealed it to the Virginia Supreme Court. Here's what his reasonings were for an appeal, or some of them anyway. Randy thinks he should have been granted a change of venue for his trial because of the media coverage, claims his legal representation was up to no par. He said his defense rested after only one hour. He said that his lawyer ran out of fuel, quote, unquote. Now, currently, Randy is spending his lovely two life sentences in the Red Onion State Prison in Wise County, Virginia, where he's going to spend the rest of his miserable, miserable life. Whether he ever has a change of heart, well, does he even have a heart? I doubt it. Whether he changes his mind and decides to tell Alexis Murphy's family where her body is, I highly doubt it, honestly, just because I believe he wants something in return. Or does he even really know where her body is? Does he remember what he did with it? I'm sure he does. It's just the fact I believe that he wants to have that control. The fact that the Murphy family will not and did not let him have the satisfaction of having the last word has just proven and did prove how strong of a family they are. At this point here in October of 2020, Alexis Murphy's body has not been found, sadly. However, let's not lose hope that someday it will be found and that her family can lay her in a formal resting place. I personally am amazed at the strength of this family and all that they have endured over the years. They will always have questions, no doubt at all. They will always have that hope and the what-ifs, but I truly do believe that they all know that precious Alexis loved each and every single one of them with every ounce of her being. She was a beautiful young lady that so many people miss love and adored and she was taken away from everyone way too soon by one sick sick monster who will rot in prison for the rest of his miserable miserable life and if you will keep alexis murphy's family in your thoughts hopefully one day her body will be found and they can give her a formal resting place now that closes us out on alexis murphy's case now i will tell you what that's not the last that you've heard of randy taylor i'll be uploading a bonus episode about another case that randy taylor is connected with that was before alexis murphy that you'll be interested to know so 
be looking for that bonus episode that closes us out for episode two of Crime, Coffee, and Combo. I greatly appreciate you joining me today. Remember to hop on over to our Facebook and Instagram page, Crime, Coffee, Combo Podcast. Join in on the conversation about our cases. And I'll have some questions up. You can ask some questions. Give us your opinions on the cases that we've talked about so far. You can be on the show as well. I want to start doing a fan question uh, and answer at the end of the show. On the Instagram and Facebook page, you can see victim photos, mugshots, crime scene photos, evidence, and so much more. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to rate the show, leave a review, and please share the show with your friends and social media to spread the word about the podcast. I'd greatly, greatly appreciate it. Until next time, take care of yourself, each other, and be safe.